that's actually what you what you deal with every day as a ride operator, working with those people, experiencing their their emotions, and and that can be on a roller coaster, but that can also be on a bench where people enjoy uh, a, a view, or it can be so many different things. But in the end, it comes back to emotions. Welcome to the Attraction Pros Podcast, where we discuss the latest trends and challenges facing the attractions industry today. We chat with some of the top leaders in the field and provide resources that will help develop your career in this great industry. I am Josh Liebman. I am obsessed with the guest experience and helping attractions make that their top priority for success. And I'm Matt Heller. I am passionate about organizational effectiveness, leadership development, and employee engagement. Now sit upright, hold on tight, and get ready for the Attraction Pros Podcast. Hey, Matt, how's it going? It's going fantastically, Josh. How are you? Ah, doing great. Always love to hear that. Fantastic. <laughs> Question for you. Giddy up. Have you ever been to EMEA? I feel like there's many different ways to answer that question. I've been to Europe. I've never been to the Middle East and I've never been to Africa. That's funny. I asked this knowing that like very fresh in your mind is <laughs> to Ireland that you took. Yes. But the reason why I ask is you, you kind of just just said like, well, I've been to one third of EMEA, right? When people across, I would say like global corporate, like large corporations, or in this case, associations who do business all over the world need to break it up into geographic chunks. So like North America, like LATAM, Latin America, uh, EMEA, APAC, you know, the Asia Pacific region. Uh, and EMEA, you know, is, is so interesting because it, it encompasses so much. Like you said, it encompasses Europe, the Middle East, and Africa. So it's two entire continents and I guess what you would consider a subcontinent, right? And what's interesting is when we think of this through the lens of the attractions industry, those are three very different markets combined into one region. They really are. And what our guest gets to talk about today is how one is sort of a mature market. One is, I would say, somewhat mature emerging, and one is really in its infancy. Yeah. And you can probably guess which one of those <laughs> are each of those. So we know the the oldest operating amusement park in the world is Bakken, which is uh, just outside of Copenhagen. And it's been operating since the 1500s. And then you've got, uh, you know, the Middle East, you've got Dubai and Abu Dhabi and Saudi Arabia, which just in the last 10 to 15 years, and I would say a lot of that's been accelerated just, just even in more recent years of just how much growth the industry has seen from there. Uh, and then in, in Africa, there there is an attractions industry, but by comparison to Europe uh, and even in the Middle East, like you said, it's very much in its infancy. So it's it, it's cool that we get to actually kind of dive into a little bit of, of what that might look like in the future and what potential predictions there are and what part of the industry, because we're talking to Peter Vandeschans. He is the executive director and vice president of IAPA's AMIA region. And he said it might not be the obvious key players 
that when you think of IAPA and when you think of certain regions, and in particular, when we talk about Africa, as far as what might go there. So there might not be destination theme park resorts, or at least perhaps not, not as many of them, but uh, we know that the amount of the amount of tourism and the amount of opportunities that fall under the IAPA umbrella or the attractions industry umbrella as a whole, that there's plenty of opportunity for, for that market. Well, I think what's really interesting is you really have to look at that word attractions, right? Because what are we doing? We're attracting people to some sort of experience. And as Peter likes to talk about, to create and to sell some sort of emotion. Um, <clears throat> it was interesting. And I think we're going to talk about this on an upcoming episode, but my trip to Ireland, I went to a lot of different places that I didn't think of at first as an attraction. But when I walked in, hey, there's a place to sell a ticket. Hey, there's a tour guide. Hey, there's you know something that they're telling you that you didn't know before. Oh, by the way, there's a gift shop also, right? There's a food and beverage um, uh, component. So when you think about that, it could be so many different things. It doesn't have to have a roller coaster. It doesn't have to have a dark ride. It doesn't have to have an animal collection. It could be so many different things. Peter talked about a cave experience, you know, where you could go have dinner in a cave or something of that nature. And so when you think about, again, the way that we as human beings experience different attractions, experience different um, facilities, we do so in a way that we want to share that experience with someone else. Typically, you know, not like you and I, we go to, we can go to a park by ourselves and, and probably have a, a very good time. But a lot of times, you know, we're going with friends, we're going with family and we want to have that experience that we can share and we can relive. And you can do that in so many different ways. So whether it's the emerging markets in Africa, whether it's things that are that are somewhat emerging or somewhat, uh, you know, mature in, in the Middle East or the very mature um, attractions in, in Europe specifically, there's really no pun intended, a whole world out there of different attractions that could probably fall under the IAPA umbrella that most people don't even think about. Mm -hmm. And one of those things that all these attractions need to operate is people. Right. And Peter also talks about the, the people aspect of the business and the way that IAPA, in particular in the EMEA region, is supporting young professionals as well as students to be able to encourage them to join the industry. And, you know, we even talk a little bit of the staffing challenges that have happened over the last couple of years and, uh, and, and looking at why people might join the industry or why they might not join the industry and all the alternative options that, uh, that those beginning their career really have. Uh, and we talk about ways of, of being able to address those challenges uh, one of the, the other things that, uh, you know, we talk about too, actually, is uh, one of my favorite topics, which is service recovery. And I brought it up because I, I went to the IAPA Europe Expo last year, which was in London. And uh, there was, a, I, I would say, a, a shining example of a service recovery situation, uh, very much orchestrated by, by Peter, um, that occurred with, with all the attendees that happened. And the reason why I wanted to bring it up is not to shine a light on perhaps service failures that occurred but the way that IAPA addressed it and the way that that Peter phrased phrased the messaging and, and the recovery and even the compensation with it as well uh, is what we should all be doing. And, you know, Peter, Peter even said we're we're hosting those who who have a passion for hospitality. We need to deliver that back to them. So it was, uh, it, was it was a great it was a great service recovery story, which I always I always love to hear those and uh, <laughs> share those as well. So I'm excited that we got to talk about that too. Absolutely. And I think it's a great example of leading by example, mm -hmm. uh, right? Because when you think about 
who's providing the best service. You may look at a, a particular company. You may think of Disney or Universal or, or someplace else that you've, you know, had really, really great experience. But when you think about it, you know, if IAPA is not providing a great service, right, then that really should be the benchmark, right? They should be treating the, the, the constituents the same way the constituents would want to treat the guests and so on and so on. Um, so I think it's really great that the, the, the reason I'm bringing this up is because I think it ties back to his operator experience, right? Yes. Bringing, bringing that to, to the forefront. So this is what happened when he was the GM of a zoo or he was back being a ride operator or a ride supervisor. Um, and you learn those lessons along the way. You learn those people lessons. You learn what people are really looking for. And it sounds like that has really become sort of his MO as the, as the uh, representative IAPA in, in the EMEA region. Matt, are you trying to say that this industry is just all about people? <laughs> well, if I didn't say that, I need to go back and re-say it. Because yes, it's all about people. And today's person is Peter Vonderschans, Executive Director and Vice President of IAPA AMIA, Europe, Middle East, and Africa. And I'd say let's get right to this interview. Hey, Peter, welcome to the Attraction Pros Podcast. How are you doing today? <laughs> thank you so much. And thank you for having me. I'm doing well. Nice weather in the Netherlands. We don't get that often. So very happy to be here. Very good. Very good. Well, we wish we could be enjoying that weather with you in person, <laughs> uh, but we're doing this over Zoom. So, um, Peter, could you give us a quick uh, rundown of your history in case people don't know who you are? Yes, absolutely. Um, I think looking at the industry and, and my passion for the industry, it started as many of us actually uh, when I was just a little kid. Um, I remember actually when we were on holiday in, in Lake Garda in Italy, um, I think I was seven or eight, and I was collecting all the park maps from Garda Land and from Caneva World and basically everything I could get my hands on to, to I don't know, collect anything that had to do with our industry. Um, then I always wanted to be a pilot, actually. Uh, when I was 17, I did selections as well, and everything was fine, thankfully. But on the other hand, they felt it was a little too young at that at that stage, which made me had to wait four more years to actually apply again. Um, and at that time, I worked as a ride operator at Six Flags Holland, and I loved every minute of it. And as a teenager, your goal is set on being a pilot. So my world fell apart, of course. But loving that so much and thinking back also on on, uh, on those days when I was a kid uh, made me think maybe I should follow this direction, actually, and then make it a, a career out of it. And that's where I studied leisure management, um, then moved into a supervisor position at, at, at that time, Wallaby World. Um, and from there on, I actually had different management positions in uh, Slagare, Toverland, Kukhoff. Uh, I worked for a cinema company as well, a little, uh, little step aside, but on the other hand, also very familiar. And right before I started with Ayapa, I was general manager of uh, a zoo in the Netherlands, Dierenrijk. Um, but then Jacob was promoted to COO and I congratulated him. But on the other hand, I also thought, hey, <laughs> This means there is an opportunity open. Um, I applied, and that's where I am now. About one year and two months, I believe, at IAPA as the executive director and vice president for the EMEA region. 
Excellent. So you talk about uh, kind of uh, when when the position became available and uh, and you congratulated Jacob on, on his promotion, identified that. But we'd love to actually maybe even take that a step, uh, maybe a step backward or so towards throughout your time in the industry, you kind of talked about a little your, your career path at um, at Six Flags and then and then sort of moving up from there. At what point did you become introduced to IAPA for the first time and get involved even just from the from the operator side? Uh, that's a good question, actually. I don't think that was, yeah, actually it was at, at Six Legs already. Um, not so much, I think. And that's also what we see as our, our biggest challenge right now. If you look at how IAPA works, a company is a member, and then basically everyone that works for that company can join the roster and have access to everything that IAPA has to offer. And from IAPA's standpoint of view, we would love that if you have a company with 500 uh, employees that all 500 actually has that access. Um, but I think as many companies have, we as a ride operator, I never really thought about it actually. Um, it was more when I started working in Toveland where you get more into management positions and, and connect with other parks. Um, first started on national association level and then, then you get to know the, the international association as well. Um, and, and starting visit, visiting the trade show and, and some events. Um, so there was more at the time where I worked at Toblant as park manager and, and we wanted to connect more with different parks, with, with other, uh, other operators, learn from them. Um, so that's actually where my ball started rolling. Very cool. And now obviously IAPA is global, right? Yes. <laughs> Excuse me. Around the entire entire world, and you focus uh, on the EMEA region. Can you kind of talk a little bit about what that is? Maybe break down the EMEA and uh, and uh, help anybody who doesn't understand or doesn't know about that region and what what it is that you do over there. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, EMEA stands for Europe, Middle East, and Africa. Um, so I always like to see it as three regions in one, actually, uh, within IAPA, it's one region, but, but obviously there are so many differences within those regions already, um, that, that, yeah, the approach actually is more three regions into one. Um, if you look at Europe, for example, it's a very, very mature market, which has a lot of history. We have parks like Bakken, who's been around for hundreds of years, um, but also IAPA-wise, Blackpool Pleasure Beach, they celebrate their 100th anniversary with IAPA this year. Um, so it's a very mature market where we operate in Europe. Um, then we have the Middle East actually rapidly developing. Uh, if you look at the Emirates and, and maybe Qatar, it's a sort of set market right now, growing into that mature area. Um, but Saudi, for example, is, is just starting and, 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 and how actually it's, it's so interesting to see what is going on there and, and what their needs are. They're completely different from, from what we see in Europe. And then we have Africa where we are actually having the opportunity to, I'm not saying we were too late in the Middle East, but I feel that we've could have done a bit better with, with being more on time. Um, for example, in the Middle East, we want to expand our presence. We're opening an office in Dubai at this time. We're uh, recruiting actually uh, our first employee uh, to, to open that office right now. Um, we're going to do more in the Middle East with events. We're going to do 
uh, ride safety report in the Middle East. So we're actually stepping up right now uh, on that area. And my goal is actually with Africa to, to have that approach maybe before the big boom starts. I know it will happen and we don't know if it's going to be tomorrow or maybe in 10 years or in 20 years, but you know there will be development in Africa within the next probably 10, 20 years. And it's our goal to be ready for that and to have our plans and, and presence actually ready before that starts so we can support and, and help where we can. I'm curious, would love to actually talk a little bit more about, about Africa and that part as part of the, the EMEA region, or kind of you said these, these three distinct uh, sub-regions within kind of the, the context of EMEA. Uh, I know you said it, you know, it, it, it's developing, you know, in the next, we're not sure, you know, exactly how many years. What type of development? Is it amusement parks? Is it zoos and aquariums? Is it like, is it water? Like what, what part of the industry are you, are you seeing sort of maybe these like- It's a very interesting question because you see already within Europe, within the Middle East and within Africa that there are differences there. Um, for example, if you look at our Middle East Trade Summit that we had in Riyadh in Saudi, we had over 800 attendees. And if you look at the the types of of companies that are visited us, it was also a financial district, for example. And then you would think, what? why is there a financial district on an IAPA event? What do they have to do with leisure? Then it turns out that they want to develop an FEC inside that financial district. Um, so you see already that there's a sort of um, gray zone that might not be the obvious theme park that is our member. Um, in Africa, obviously, we see a lot of uh, uh, nature reserves, uh, safari parks, uh, um, those types of attractions, uh, a, a cable car on the, on the Table Mountain, for example, in Cape Town. Um, it's very different. Also, I just learned about uh, a show cave association um, where they have 5,000 members in Africa where, where you have caves where you can walk or caves where you have dinners, caves where they perform shows. Uh, all Those are also visitor attractions. Um, so it's 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 a good question, actually. And, and I don't know if the answer is final because we learn something every day. <laughs> but in the end, it is. It's not always the obvious theme parks. Right. So, Peter, I'd love to kind of combine a little bit of our conversation so far. We've talked a little bit about your uh, background, and I'm sure we'll get more into that uh, as we go along, along as well, but also with the the uh, role at IAPA. How has your your background, your operations background, your theme park background, how has that helped you now in what you get to do with IAPA? <laughs> I think in the end, if you look at what I learned when I was a ride operator and also as a manager of, of parks, that in the end, it's all about emotions. That's what we do. We, we, we don't sell a product, we sell emotions as an industry. And, and uh, the picture that I wanted to show you and hopefully can show you uh, now um, is is showing that exactly it's young it's old it's it's laughs it's fear it's it's everything that we do comes back to that emotion and that's actually what you what you deal with every day as a ride operator working with those people experiencing their their emotions and and that can be on a roller coaster but that can also be 
on a bench where people enjoy uh, a, a view or it can be so many different things but in the end it comes back to emotions yeah <clears throat> i would love actually if we can just even expand and, and talk more on this this in the we we don't sell a product we sell emotions how do you, I would say, maybe work in that philosophy into your day-to-day -day role, the way that you're serving members and you're serving constituents of IAPA, of, of kind of using that perhaps as, as the anchor with all these ancillary things that people need to do, of people of all the things we, you know, we focus <laughs> on and all the things that, you know, that they are uh, doing business with with suppliers. And some of those are, you know, are, are tangible things, the, the rides, the attractions, the shows, the food, all of that, all of that leading into the output, which is the emotion. Yeah, good question. <laughs> and some of it comes natural, I think, out of that experience you have from the parks. And some of that is also being a good facilitator of our expos, of our events, where we also want to wow our, our guests, I still say, uh, our attendees at the expos, our attendees at the events. I think those emotions for me changed during my work at IAP. I'm not into having uh, an emotion from a ride or from, from an experience, but actually from sharing that knowledge that you have, from, from sharing best, best practices where you see that a certain park actually is learning from another park or that you see that a certain individual um, can join our industry uh, that they are passionate about, where where we connect them with the right persons to to take their first steps into the industry. I think it changed into a different sort of emotion, I would say, than than what you see in the theme parks. But I think in the end, also there, also in our events, we always want to to set a good example, of course, with our host, but also yeah, by itself. It, I mean, we we. We share the best practices we should at least lead by example i would say well and you said that your emotions changed and i'm curious one of the things i saw on linkedin for you said you used to wander around uh parks as a kid <laughs> and now you still wander around them as an adult has that process changed or is it pretty much still the same like are you looking at different things are you thinking different things now as an adult and specifically as a member of iapa or an employee of an IAPA, of iapa um different Different things, I would say here, because on one hand, it changes when you become an adult that other things getting more important, I would say. Uh, I don't have kids myself, but if I if I walk around in a park with my nephew and niece uh, from my sister, then, then, then I get to enjoy their laughs and their experience, actually. Or if you go to do a theme park with, with someone that never been to the park and you want to actually let them have that experience and, and see their emotions. So it's it's I would say becoming an adult, it's more about other emotions or someone else's emotion than, than that you're excited to experience it yourself. It's still there, obviously, if, if there's a new coaster opening up, I'm, I'm always up to test it. But um, <laughs> I would say that changed if you become an adult. Um, working for IAPA, um, it changed a bit where you see examples that you're uh, very positive about or that you think like, hey, so this is something we need to share. So you look a bit more with that background. But I think the biggest change actually was when you start working for the industry. And 
that's where that's where it becomes tricky. As you, if you're a fan and you actually always enjoy the parks in a certain way, you get to see the back office and you get to see everything that is needed to run that park. And that also means that whenever you visit the park the next time, you will look through those eyes and you will see how many ride operators are working on that roller coaster. And you think that's either too less or too much, or it's it's completely different from that on or from that on. And then that changes the perspective. It's not that you cannot enjoy a park anymore, but it becomes a gray area where it's fun and leisure and and work at the same time, which also is positive that you don't ever have to actually work for a day in your life because your work <laughs> is that much fun. So, yeah. Uh, totally agree with that mindset. Just last week, Matt and I were visiting a park and we were riding rides and standing on the ride platform and we were observing and, and talking about the operations and, and looking at it from exactly. that eye. And then yep, the gate yep. opened and experience the ride. So, yeah. You don't experiencing the, the flawless operation. You're actually looking at it and absorbing it it's it's, right. it's yeah yeah uh, so like matt indicated we took a couple of your questions from your linkedin profile and there was something else in your bio that i wanted to bring up and it's a, a quote that you have and i use this quote all the time so the the quote is from walt disney and he says you can dream create design and build the most most wonderful place in the world but it requires people to make the dream a reality that quote means a lot to me, and and I can think of of just how it applies so well to so many aspects of of our industry and what we do. But I would love to hear uh, why do you have that quote in your profile? What does that quote mean for you? I think it's literally true, and I think it's it's also something that um, it it shows also there that emotion that we sell. You cannot. You can still build the biggest coaster in the world to actually attract people to the park, but sometimes it's the interaction with a guest or an interaction with another person that is actually the most memorable experience that you'll have that day. And we're all human beings, and human be human beings like to connect, and we like to share those emotions, and. If we don't have our employees up front and have a certain, also a certain freedom or power to to fix things if things go wrong, for example, Disney is very good at that, uh, where an employee can can in front line can fix a lot of issues that that guest might experience. If you don't have that set, it can ruin your experience at the day. Uh, you can literally have the best park in the world, but if your staff is not there to to back it up or even make it better, because if you do it well, it makes the product better, um, then you're nowhere. Absolutely. I love how you said we're all human beings. That's something that Josh and I talk a lot about. You know, when it comes to employees and guests, we're all human beings and we all want to be treated with respect and, you yeah. know, we're all looking for those emotions and, and things of that nature. So I, I love how you, how you phrase that um, in that answer. Um, I'm also curious if we could talk a little bit about um, sort of the, the, you know, give, giving people an idea of what it, what it takes to put on an expo, right? We know that the, uh, the, um, the Expo Europe is coming up in Vienna and um, would love to hear maybe some things that people can expect from that or even some of the things you do to prep for that that people may not see from the outside. <laughs> it's it's uh, the, yeah, it's also a very good question. It, it takes a lot <laughs> to, to begin with. 
it's it's not easy uh but it's it's i think i work for i work i lead a team of 15 people in in our region and that are salespeople that actually uh, uh sell the, the space on the floor uh that is our education manager putting up a kick-ass conference program for attendees that is our membership uh, uh department that is is involved with with having our members there it's it's anything you can think of basically um comes from our team um we're supported a lot actually by our uh, headquarters in orlando but expo europe is mainly led by the region itself um then of course it's easy on one hand to copy and paste a show and do it next year in, in Amsterdam and, and then the year after in Barcelona. But if you only look at those locations, for example, right now we're working on 2027. All other shows in, in the past or the years that are in front of 2027 are already signed. So it takes a lot of time in front, uh, up front to even come up with a location and to, to make sure the halls uh, that we need are available. Um, that is a membership process as well. Uh, we come up with, with quite a few ideas and suggestions. And then we talk to different committees and different members to decide in the end uh, uh, where we go. In the end, it's a board decision uh, that actually approves that, uh, that decision, which makes it also a member decision. Um, and then what, what do we do? We have, we, for example, if we look at, Ghana for this year, it's it's um it's very very careful what I'm going to say now, but we're about seventeen thousand square meters at this time, which is six hundred square meters less than Paris, which is our uh, record from twenty nineteen. Um, I'm confident actually that we will break the record. We still have three and a half months to go. Um, so now I've said it on record. <laughs> Can't go back anymore. <laughs> Um, it's either going to be close to or uh, just above or just under uh, our record show in, in Paris. Um, then if you look at what's new, um, we have actually a lot of new things, uh, and I'm very excited about that. Uh, we're going to have a job fair for the first time at our expo, yeah. where we will connect with local uh, education in institutes uh, to get them into the show, to get them experience our industry and try to to see if we can touch a few hearts that that are uh, actually industry lovers but don't know it yet. Um, the good thing of our show is that we travel to different cities in Europe um, and we always get the comment that we don't do enough with that actually. Uh, so new this year is also a host city day. Uh, it's a three track event where we uh, separated it in uh, F&B, in culture, and in uh, retail. Um, so we actually go into the city and see what is special about Vienna on F&B level. So if you're an F&B manager from a park, it's good to attend that, that event. Uh, if you're a retail manager in a park, then you should join the retail track and so on. Um, we're going to have a completely new opening ceremony. Last year in London, also due to passing of the Queen, unfortunately, we had to adjust here and there uh, some of our some of our program, um, which made the opening ceremony not the festive one that we actually want to have. So this year in Vienna, we're 
going to do really opening ceremony 2.0. Um, going to have more ADU tours. We always used to have one ADU tour. And uh, now we're going to have one full day ADU tour and two smaller ones, uh, one at uh, the zoo of uh, Vienna and one at Prater Park. Um, we're going to have a diversity workshop, also new. Um, and plus all those events actually is all, also the all the set events that we always do, like safety day, sustainability day, uh, basically all the events that, that people know us for already. Then also on the show floor, we have a lot of innovation uh, where we actually have a new innovation stage, which is a stage on the actual show floor. So usually the conference area is, is uh, behind the wall or uh, in a different location. That is still the case for Piana, but we also add an innovation stage where we have shorter pitches uh, um, uh, of presentations of, of just 20 minutes. Uh, fast pace and on the show floor, a very open design as well. So we actually try to move a bit of those educational sessions on the floor uh, and have more uh, more stuff going on on the trade floor. Um, I'm going to have a safety corner uh, where a safety expert uh, is always present where you can ask questions, um, where you just walk in and then ask your question that you have. So we want to have a low barrier approach on safety and see if that if that works and see if that brings our members something. And, and yeah, those are all the things that are new. <laughs> and on top wow. of that, we do the things that we've always done. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like quite a lot to be a jam. It, is, it yeah, actually it is. is quite a lot this year, yeah. <laughs> I have a question about last year's event, if that's okay, in, yeah, in London. Good. You you talked briefly how the, how the opening ceremony had to be changed due to the Queen's passing, which by the way, was a crazy time to be in London just yes. to begin with of, yes. of just seeing just just everyone in in mourning it was it was between her passing and her funeral so it was a, yeah. a lot of people I know when actually uh, I saw her lying in state as you know while they were there just for for the IAPA expo but this actually has to do and this ties in with the previous question before that where you were talking about the importance of the people to deliver the experience but also to fix issues when they go wrong uh, so you had the event at the uh, at the Museum of London Docklands, and uh, I, I loved it. I, I, the, mainly because of the people that were there, and it was you know it was, it was a wonderful event. Uh, but people commented it was it was a little warm, it was a little crowded, and and perhaps maybe it wasn't exactly to the expectation it was supposed to be. What I remember most was not any issues at the event, but it was the email that you sent out shortly after that. And the reason why I, I think I, I want to bring it up is because I think it's just such a, a shining example of how the industry can and should respond to perhaps when things don't go 100%. Can you talk just a little bit about maybe uh, maybe that, that thought process and maybe the, the discussions that led to what I saw as being an incredible service recovery situation. Yeah. Well, first of all, like you said, we had the opening uh, reception, our biggest network event at the Museum of Docklands. And what we always see if we visit a member, for example, is that they go above and beyond to make a good impression. The opposite is true. If we don't visit a member, then we're just one of the clients. So to start with that, if we go to a member, we know we always will put on a good show because they support us. They know what we bring to the table and they they feel it's important. Um, it was a combination actually of many things um, where they didn't seem pretty much ready for the, the number of guests that we brought in, uh, which was obvious from the beginning on. Um, 
they uh, we we didn't have enough food. Uh, it was hard to to get to to food actually to get drinks. There were long lines, uh, but it all it all began actually, and that turned out to be uh, because of the passing of the queen again. Um, we hired buses to move our attendees from the venue to uh, the venue of the opening uh, uh, opening reception. Those buses were also reserved in the case if the queen passed to support the funeral and all the uh, things around that. So we actually had less buses than we ordered. Um, there was nothing we could do at that time. Everything was booked. There was literally nothing we could do. Um, and they informed us 30 minutes before the actual buses should arrive. So I don't mean to push it to other other people, but it, it wasn't ideal, so to say. <laughs> um, so that also meant that a lot of people actually came in very late and only experienced about one hour or an hour and a half. London was very expensive and also the ticket for the opening reception was very expensive, therefore um, more than, than, than what we usually had on the main uh, mainland of Europe. So everything combined actually made that it just wasn't a good experience. And like I said, I think IAPA should at least lead by example. We, we host events for Disney, we host events for Universal, we host events for all the parks in the world, basically, that do hospitality with passion, that do hospitality at the best that we can think of. So if we host those people, we should at least be on that level. And if we cannot deliver that, then we did something wrong. And we did. So that's exactly why we um, we came back together. Uh, first of all, <laughs> during that evening, we tried to extend the the, uh, the hours as much as we can. Uh, that only uh, happened for 45 minutes, unfortunately. That was the absolute max. And that took me and, and, and the team almost the complete evening to, to, to get that done. Um, but in the end, it was only 45 minutes. So we, we simply felt it wasn't enough. Um, so that's why we came together like, hey, this 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 was not to our standard and and our members should not be the one taking that blame um so that's why we came up with that email where we offered 50% off for uh, the next opening reception in Vienna and that's going to be at the member at Praterpark um and it's uh yeah very excited to go there actually well thank you for sharing that peter i was not a part of that but you know josh mentioning that um to me really brings up how you as IAPA are also operating as an attraction, right? Because people are coming yeah. to see you, right? Um, coming to see IAPA and you've got so many different facets of the operation that you have to be responsible for. And then to your point, if things don't go right, you have to make it right. So I, I appreciate you sharing those examples. Um, one of the things that piqued my interest in the, in the previous answer about the Vienna uh, Expo was you mentioned a job fair, which from an HR perspective, I'm like, wee, 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 I want to <laughs> learn more. Uh, but first of all, can you tell us a little bit more about that? And then also maybe as a, a part two to that question, you know, what, what are your philosophies in kind of cultivating and helping young professionals in the attractions industry kind of move up and learn about different career paths? Yeah. 
Well, the job fair actually in the end was an idea of one of the, the interns that we had uh, at AAPA last, uh, last year. Um, we did a research on how we can approach that, on how we how we can uh, how we can set this up in a way that that what we don't want to do is to have company A coming to the expo and uh, company B takes uh, takes that person out of company A. That's not the goal. We want to have more people in the industry. Um, so. The setup is that we connect with the local institutes of education, so universities, other other institutes that are at least have a touch point of our industry. So it's either hospitality, but also tech. We we often, if we talk about uh, education institutes, we look at hospitality, but I think tech is is just as important. Uh, and, and I think we should definitely step up on that level to do more. Um, we connect with them and see if we can bring them in, if we can tease them on the last day of the expo, um, show them what the industry is about, having a few companies represented in that job fair, talking about what they do, what it is that 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 makes our industry so special. Like I said before, touch their hearts, try to see if we can persuade them into a career in our industry. Um, I think it's it's now more relevant than ever, actually. We see the staff shortage. Um, if I talk to universities, they're actually, actually quite worried. Uh, they saw a drop in attendance uh, of, of hospitality uh, studies that that is up to forty percent on some universities, so that's that's insane. And if we don't do anything about that, then we're going to suffer from it a lot. So it's it's our job actually to step up on that and see what we can do to uh, yeah to make this better. Hmm. Um, yeah. Also, uh, I think the next question was was more about young professionals, right? Yeah, young professionals, kind of in general, maybe uh, supporting their career growth. Um, we do quite a few things, but I think we should also step up there. Um, my vision would be ideally that it's integrated into our current, uh, into our current programs and that we don't have a special young professional division or a special young professional event, but in the end that they are welcome and they are also they are always welcome, but that they feel welcome enough uh, um, to to join all the events that we offer. Um, I don't think we're there yet. Um, so right now we do host special events for young professionals. We did one in October in Antwerp, for example. Um, but also our mentor mentee program is a very good example where where young professionals can sign up as a mentee. And they get assigned a mentor from the industry where you connect one on one with them uh, and try to see if I if you can you can help them during their career path. Um, and also a mentor right now. So it's it's a, it's a quite fulfilling role, actually. Um, so if people want to sign up, uh, please join. Um, I think in the end. Um, we see that also a lot of committees involve uh, young professionals now. Uh, having a dedicated seat for young professionals where they can join the the, the committee, uh, maybe for one or two years to get a taste of it, and 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 then actually move into that normal seat, so to say. Um, so we do we do a lot 
I feel we can do better and make them feel welcome actually at all other events so that it becomes more of a natural thing that they're that they are there on the other hand they do have different needs so so I think we should also keep those young professional events that we that we have during the expo where we connect them with with industry leaders and, and bring them those opportunities as well yeah um, I believe Matt and I have both taken on mentees with the uh, the mentor mentee program, and 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 I think I can speak for both of us. Say like we like we we speak very highly of of that, and uh, that it's great for the mentee, but it's great for the the mentor as well. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. At the time of this episode's release, I am in my final countdown of being considered an IAPA young professional by <laughs> IAPA's definition. And uh, uh, it's interesting when I when I reflect back on, you know, early, early in my career, I, you know, I started out on, on the front line as a ride operator. It was the day after I turned 18 years old and I didn't care. I didn't care what the pay was. I know that I wanted, you know, the experience yeah. of being able to do that. Uh, you talked about the you know the staffing challenges that the industry has had over the last couple of years and and really wanting to hit that head on and in 2023 the you know people are people are asking themselves I could go be a ride operator at an amusement park or I can go work you know the front line the front lines in any attraction or I could drive for Uber or I could deliver for DoorDash or I could I could do something that that allows me to set my own schedule and potentially make more money and do things that I'm I'm not standing outside in 100 degree heat. So the <laughs> the, the staffing challenges are largely from perhaps friction points that uh, that people now have have many more options to kind of get around. So I'm curious as far as really the best, you know, the best response from that, whether it's about career development, whether saying this will, this will give you so much more life experience. Cause in, in the short run, it's, I'm standing outside, it's really hot out and frustrated people <laughs> are yelling at me about things that aren't my fault. And that's like, that's, you know, what our frontline employees go through, but saying like, no, do that because it'll be better than driving for Uber. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I think one thing for sure, it's fun. So those things you mentioned, those are not the exactly fun parts of the <laughs> job, obviously. And uh, but I think in the end, it's it's fun. And if you like what you do there, it's it's actually a job that never feels like a job because you're in an in an environment that is always happy. That's always about making people smile. Uh, so you're always around happy people. Um, one of the other aspects I would say definitely is people skills. You get to meet in, in in even if you drive an Uber, obviously you get to meet different people, but not as many as a roller coaster. If you if you operate a roller coaster, you see about a thousand people a year, an hour. Uh, so so it's it's also there. You get to meet so many different people, and you get to meet so many different cultures and different uh, different backgrounds that that only that already learns and teach you so many things. Uh, that I think is hard to find in another in another role. But above all, it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> it is fun. It is fun. Um, I started as a ride operator as well, and I can look back on those days very, very fondly and think about the fun that I had, whether it was with other employees or the fun that I had with the guests or maybe on behalf of the guests. I'm not sure how to put that, but, um, <laughs> you know, I mean, we all, we we made our own fun. At the expense right? of the guest. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. There you go. Um, but I think that all translates into what we get to do now, whether we're, you know, at IAPA or consulting or building uh, theme parks, building roller coasters, water slides, whatever it is. Um, so I'm curious, kind of thinking back to the to the young Peter Wright operator and thinking about where where we are now. 
What lessons have you taken from that early experience as a ride operator, maybe those first couple of years that you might still even be using right now? I think it's those it's those people's skills, actually. I think those are developed the most uh, over the years. And, and I think it's, uh, like I said, the cultural, uh, the differences between cultures, the difference between backgrounds. Um, but in the end, everyone comes to join the park and, and, and they like to have, an, have a nice day. Um, I remember very, very, uh, very well from Kirkenhof, for example. Uh, Kirkenhof is one of the biggest tourist attractions in the Netherlands, and then it's uh, it's the, the, the well-known flower park, if you don't know the name. Um, it attracts over a million guests in just three months, so it's it's quite it's quite popular actually, and it's it's a sixty percent, seventy percent is tourists, so outside of uh, the Netherlands. Um, you get to see a lot of different cultures, Chinese, Indians, uh, it's, it's, it's everyone basically around the world. And also with different cultures, for example, where we saw people from India that are usually traveling into Europe are more high class people in, in India, um, where they don't usually are very used to to uh, to take orders from from anyone else. So please step out of the grass or something like that. That was always an issue. But then during that conversation you had with them, they always invited you for the barbecue on the parking lot. So it was so good to see actually that that even if you have a difference of understanding or a difference of of background, that that you can connect with each other and and get to know each other and have a good, good time with each other. So staying on ride operator Peter here for a second, if you could <laughs> go back in time, yeah, <laughs> if you could go back in time and give yourself advice in those early days, what would you tell yourself? <laughs> I would say actually, uh, I, I came across, I, I never saw it again, but I came across on a quote on LinkedIn Um it was many years ago, actually, already, but it says the scary part of growing up is realizing that the people you look up to were just doing what they thought was right. And I remember from being a ride operator, I was also still in school at that time, and I was learning about leisure management and management styles, and and I was very much looking up to my, my, uh, my manager at that park. And... Actually, when I read that sentence, it, it I, I don't know, it blew my mind for except for 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 some reason that that it kind of hit me in the face. Like even the people you look up to, they 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 go by their gut feeling and they they do what they think is right. So why don't you just do the same? That there was so I don't know why that sentence had to to be thrown in my face to realize that. But from then on, I I don't know, I became way more self secure and and. And thought about more of, of what, yeah, working on my gut feeling, especially if you have that that industry experience for over twenty years, you know what you're talking about. So go by it. And and I think I should have done that earlier, actually. So I think that I would throw that line in my face when I was sixteen, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think it's good advice for anybody at any level. Um, I appreciate you. You sharing that, and I hope uh, hope all of our all of our listeners do as well. Um, I'm curious, Peter. You mentioned earlier that you wanted to be a pilot. So, yes. looking back, 
Like if you weren't in this industry now, what do you think you'd be doing? I would say pilot. I think I would then then apply again. And and um, I must say that that seventeen H was was the, the the minimum limit that you can apply. So I did it right away. And of course, you're a teenager, so you're not as mature as you are when you are twenty three or twenty four, maybe. Um, so I think if I applied again, maybe I got through and 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 then got into that system. Um, I must also say, being in this role, you get to travel a lot, and and I still like aviation. It's it's it's, it's still, yeah, I don't know. It interests me, and and I think it's it's uh, it's it's. I never I never I don't know. I never feel bad when I'm in a plane, or or I don't know. It always makes me sort of happy. So I think I would then still follow that direction. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Peter, we're starting to wrap up here, just a, a last few minutes left, but uh, is there anything else that perhaps we haven't covered yet or any uh, any message for our audience that you want to make sure that, that you share that we haven't touched on already? Ooh, that's a hard one. I think <laughs> in the end, like I said, I, I, I lead a team of 15 people and and they're absolutely a wonderful team and they, they do a lot of all the work. I um, I get pushed to be the, the, the face usually. Um, but but uh, I think if you think of IAPA and 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 if you think of 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 what we do for industry, just don't forget that it's it's not only me. It's it's also a team of fifteen very hardworking and passionate people that are that are supporting the industry because they love it. Um, so for me, that's always important to mention at least. And and uh, yeah, I think it's uh, they deserve that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Peter, this has been an amazing conversation. Thank you again for your time. If people wanted to learn more about IAPA or the EMEA region or get in touch with you uh, directly, where would you send them? Um, it's very open, actually. My telephone number is all on the web. <laughs> if you go to iapa.org slash EMEA, uh, you enter the, the EMEA regions page and actually all our team members are listed there, including me including our telephone number, our email address. So if you ever want to reach out to us for any reason whatsoever, uh, you're always free to do so. We actually love that. So please do. Excellent. Excellent. Peter, thank you so much. We really appreciate your time today. Uh, it was just absolutely fantastic getting to uh, getting to talk to you and hear your story and hear all about IAPA EMEA and the upcoming expo in Vienna. Uh, for everyone out there who is watching and listening, just remember, we are all Attraction Pros. Thanks for listening to the Attraction Pros podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you can tune in when new episodes release. And even better, please leave us a review on iTunes. For more information, visit attractionpros.com.